Coming up on Across the Chain, Caitlin Long, founder and CEO of Custodia Bank, fresh off the Intercourt victory, joins us. Plus, Warren Davidson files the SEC Stabilization Act to reorganize the SEC and fire tyrannical chairman Gary Gensler. And the curious case of Prometheum. Are they the SEC's crypto compliance Potemkin Village? All that and more coming up on Across the Chains. Hello, Caitlin. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for your patience this morning on that. Um, helping no me resolve my logistical issues. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all. Sorry, people. We're a little bit late. We're trying to, you know, technical difficulties scrambling around. No worries. Yeah, There's no bad. Good. We're here. So, all good. <laughs> we're here. And that's all that really matters. So, um, so I want to dive into Custodia right away. Um, and we do, we try to do on this show. Well, first of all, I'm not that smart. I'm kind of dumb. Uh, second of all, I like to do things uh, for a general audience so that everybody, you know, all the kids at home can follow along, even sure. the, the ones that are pretending to know what's going on, but really don't. So let's let's take Custodia from the top. What yeah. is it? First of all, like what when you decided to make Custodia Bank, what was the problem you were trying to solve? What, what's, what's special about Custodia? Well, it's actually the problem that we all are experiencing in this industry in the United States right now, which is Operation Chokepoint. So if, if we go back to why Wyoming created the Special Purpose Depository Institution Charter in the first place, they heard in 2018 testimony from a number of entrepreneurs who had legitimate businesses who lost their businesses because they lost their bank accounts in the debanking wave of the crypto crash four years ago. And mm -hmm. so that is exactly the problem Wyoming was trying to solve. Uh, they created the Special Purpose Depository Institution Charter. That was a two-year process, active participation of the Federal Reserve. Um, Senator Lummis has, has talked about how there were 100 meetings between the Fed and uh, the state of Wyoming, and, um, and, and there were comments provided at the draft legislation stage, the public rulemaking stage, and then the supervisory exams manual stage. Then there were 150 interested parties that lined up and the Wyoming Division of Banking literally told all of them, no, you're not going to make it. And, um, and so what happened is a few months after the charter went live in October 2019, I had been helping the state to get the whole thing set up, all public processes. And I said, all right, if we built it and no one came, that, that kind of would have been on me. So I said, all right, well, I'll step, step up and build one and try to figure out how to get the door open. And as, as you know, the Fed has not opened the door. Um, it, it, it rug pulled, it rug pulled the state of Wyoming. I mean, I, you know, again, there was so much work done between the state of Wyoming and me, the Fed. Let me back yeah. up, I just wanna, let me just stop you for just one second. So just to restate, the problem you're trying to solve is for a lot of us in the crypto universe, if we have a bank account, if we have a crypto company, uh, mm -hmm. And we open a company and we open a bank account at Bank of America or some other, you know, sort of traditional bank. And they find out that we're doing crypto. Uh, in a lot of instances, they'll just shut your account and kick you out. Correct. Won't really tell you why. So the problem you were trying to solve is let's make a bank that welcomes crypto entrepreneurs and crypto yeah. companies. So Specializes that was in it. Acknowledges that this is a different industry than traditional finance. It's got unique compliance requirements in order to meet the anti-money laundering, OFAC sanctions requirements, for example, and and uh, that, that banks don't want to specialize in it. What was happening four years ago is that a number of banks were dabbling in it. And what happens when the regulators, they'll, they'll never tell you you can't serve an industry unless it's something that's federally illegal like marijuana. They will tell you, oh, you have to appropriately take the risks into account. Well, everyone in the banking world knows that that's bank speak for you better not do this and you are going to get all kinds of extra scrutiny if you do. And so the silver gates and the signatures of the world stepped up and did it. Metropolitan Bank um, also back then was doing it as well, saying, all right, we can make money on this by specializing in it. It's a it's a niche industry, but mm -hmm. we can make money 
serving it. And were those banks not willing to take on that extra regulatory burden four years ago, the industry wouldn't have wouldn't be where it is today. Also, it is fair that a lot of the fraud and scams would not have been enabled. And I mm -hmm. have been absolutely outspoken that 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 there's a lot of crap in this industry that still to this day needs to be purged. Okay, so I think that the next banking wave for this industry is going to be a lot more careful. Um, you know how I feel about leverage uh, and and crypto that they do not mix. Period. And yeah. um, Silvergate and Signature were all over some of these, you know, heavy lender relationships. And um, look what happened to them. Um, and 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 you know, I had been warning as as early as 2020 in my Cato Institute Monetary Conference keynote about the bank run risk and serving these industries, particularly with serving stablecoin issuers. And so when you add it all up, it all explains why, because this is, you know, there's a higher run risk to deposits in this industry as a result of the fact that, um, that they can be withdrawn in the span of minutes. And so the banks therefore need to hold higher liquidity if they're gonna service this industry. Not a lot of banks wanna do that. They're, they prefer to do the, the, the old traditional borrow short-term and lend long-term game. Well, if you're mm -hmm. sitting with deposits that could disappear in the span of minutes, that old game doesn't work of borrowing short-term and lending long-term and capturing the spread. Um, and so you're gonna have to hold more cash and you're gonna have to have a compliance team that specializes in compliance for this industry. One other topic that we haven't covered yet is why did Wyoming create a whole new bank charter? What was it that caused the traditional charters not to work? And the answer is it was the FDIC. The FDIC had told uh, applicants back then, we will not insure startups who are touching digital assets. Custodia tested that. We applied in 2021 for FDIC insurance because we thought, well, if that's what it's going to take and the FDIC is ice, their ice is thawing, we would have been fine at the time. Mm to become FDIC insured, but of course the ICE had not thawed and, um, and so we were where we were. So Wyoming created the Special Purpose Depository Institution Charter, which is an uninsured charter. Because it's an uninsured charter, the bank can't lend, therefore it can't do the traditional borrow short-term and lend long-term that really got the Silvergates and Signatures in trouble and arguably also the Sil Silicon Valley banks in trouble. Yeah. They had I deposits think, that turned out to be super hot. And once they all got withdrawn, <laughs> boom, the bank failed. Right. Yeah. I think one thing that, I mean, the, the Silicon Valley bank thing woke up a lot of people. And, yeah. and I think most people thought that when they put their money into the, into a bank, it was like, you know, it was like Scrooge McDuck's vault. Like it just, you know, it's there. Ooh. They're not doing anything with it. They're not messing around with it. What really was happening was we were uh, forced to be participants in a uh, treasury bond uh, hedge fund. We didn't, we didn't know that, but that's what was happening, right? And Correct. when the hedge fund lost money, we lost our money. You know, unless the FDIC wanted to print more and give it back to us, it would have been gone forever, right? Well, that could I mean, have happened. Well, they did. I mean, it, it, it wasn't the FDIC that printed it. It was the Fed, the, the BTFP, the new, yeah. um, the new facility that allowed banks to bring their U.S. treasuries so what the banks did, right? They they like to play the yield curve. It's called maturity transformation. That sounds, you know, pretty innocuous. But what it meant was when all the COVID funds flooded the banking system, there were trillions of new dollars of deposits that had to be invested by the banks somewhere. And instead of doing what they should have done, which is just buy T-bills, they were buying 10 and 30-year treasuries. Okay, and that had a zero, it was called a zero risk weight for the banks because it's deemed to be no counterparty credit risk because the US government's not going to default under the banking rules. Okay, so they didn't have to hold additional capital, but they could pick up the yield because the yield curve was what's called steep. The yield curve had a short, uh, lower short-term interest rates than long-term interest rates. So again, the bankers like to, like to uh, borrow short-term and then invest long-term and pocket the spread. Okay, that's what they were doing and they thought they were doing it risk-free. But this, yeah. what, what we now know is that when everyone came and got their deposits at the same time, then those long-term treasuries, they had to be sold at a loss. Why were they sold at a loss? It wasn't because the US government was gonna default, it was because of the interest rate risk 
embedded mm -hmm. in those U.S. Treasuries, right? So what the Fed did with the BTFP facility was allow the banks to take those treasuries that may have been only worth 60 or 70 cents on the dollar, those long-term treasuries, and get cash for them at par. So yep. the Fed just gave, they printed money and gave the banks a big subsidy. Now, ultimately, it was the depositors of those banks who got that subsidy, but because they all got, all their uninsured deposits got out at par with no losses. Okay, but this is not the way the banking industry is supposed to work, folks. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, okay, so let me recap part of what you said there. So you wanted to do a crypto bank. There was no um, existing mechanism or structure that would truly allow you to do that. So the state of Wyoming Correct. invents a new kind of bank. And for those people who don't know, Wyoming is kind of badass at innovation of corporate structures and things. Y'all invented the LLC, which I did not mm -hmm. know. I actually yeah. found that out when I first saw you speak for the first time. Uh, Michael Turpin was interviewing you in Puerto Rico at a crypto conference. I was in the audience physically, so we, ne we didn't meet there. But I remember that's when I first became aware of you. And I was like, this lady's pretty interesting. I need to learn more. So, so yeah, so that was, um, so, yeah, so I think, so, so the state of Wyoming invents a new kind of bank uh, that is specifically meant for crypto, not FDIC insured. Correct. And if I recall, it's 108% collateralized, correct? Yep. So yep. Far? Okay. Yep. Keep going and then I'll come back and, and give you a few nuances that are a little different, but keep going. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and and so and so basically you spend a couple of years getting various approvals and licenses from uh state and federal regulators, and then you apply for a master account at the Federal Reserve and you are denied. Now correct me where what did I get right and wrong yep. in there? Okay, so a couple nuances. One is I didn't intend to start the bank. I was retired. And when, when I left the New York area, I came out to Wyoming to have fun. This is where I grew up and I was retired. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to stop working. I don't think I'll ever stop working. Um, and so it wasn't until essentially Wyoming built it and no one came that I decided to, bu to build it. And then others came. Um, which is great. There are four chartered special purpose depository institutions and several others hanging around the hoop, um, waiting to see if Custodia can get the door pried open. And if it can, there will be others who apply. Jay Powell at one point said, if we let one through, then there will be a couple hundred behind it. There may be a couple hundred interested parties, but there won't be a couple hundred that actually make it through. I think it'll relative, it'll, it'll be, you know, maybe one or two dozen that ultimately pull it off because it costs a lot of capital. You got to have a management team that's credible. You've got to have, a, you know, a, a technology team that really knows what they're doing. And then it's really hard to meld traditional banking and digital assets just culturally. And from an IT perspective, they're, they're really quite different. These are, <laughs> this, this is a tough, tough task. Okay. So then um, Custodia applied and got our charter from the state of Wyoming in October, 2020. And at the, and then we turned around the same day and applied for our Fed master account. So it was October, 2020 that we applied. And uh, in January, 2023, they denied us. And then what? Then what happened? Then well, you, the, so, well, then well, then you have a, a, a court victory recently, right? That uh, yeah, not gonna not gonna talk about that. Uh, it is public okay. information that that Custodia filed suit for delayed decision in June of 2022. Uh, it is public information that when we applied for the master account, it said that a decision would take five to seven business days. Uh, so obviously more than two years later, um, when the, when the denial finally came, um, then the, then, then, uh, custodia amended its complaint. Um, so I, I won't talk more about the lawsuit. I, I I'm going to respect the judicial process on that. Understood. Um, but again, what we're trying to do here, this is all about trying to get the door open to solve the real problem, which is that the legitimate businesses, law-abiding businesses in this industry need U.S. dollar banking. And it's funny because a lot of people will say, oh, wait a minute, we're trying to, are we trying to, to circumvent the banks? Aren't we trying to, you know, replace the banks with this new, better technology? Over time, the answer is yes, but I've never thought that that was going to be a short process. And there will have to be traditional financial institution bridges to the new world. And uh, and that is ultimately what the special purpose depository institutions are designed to be, to bridge the old and new world in a way that doesn't hurt either side. I don't want traditional banking to hurt 
the digital asset industry. I don't want the digital asset industry to hurt traditional banking. And unfortunately, because it wasn't done in a careful way, both sides ended up hurting each other in the in the case of the banks that failed. Mm -hmm. So with Custodia, I, am I able to store my Bitcoin in my Custodia ah. account? Yes. Not yet. Customers oh, is okay. not taking third-party funds. We, remember, we still have our Wyoming bank charter, and it is now publicly disclosed that we got a certificate of authority to operate granted by the state of Wyoming last fall. We're not yet taking third-party funds, but I did pu recently publicly share that Custodia filed its 60-day notice with the Wyoming Division of Banking in April to take Bitcoin custody to, to launch Bitcoin custody. Uh, it's not going to be 60 days. The Wyoming Division of Banking um, is is going to it's again, this is if you look at the statute, they have to do a review before any of the speedies are allowed to launch under under the the, the rule set. We have to notify them that we're ready and then they're going to do a review. So I, we do not have a launch date. But to answer your question, but yes, the theory is that you're going, that's you're where going, we're going to be able to do that. That's what you want to do. That's what are, we have you, built and are ready to do. Yeah. Awesome. That's fantastic. Will I be able to exchange my Bitcoin and dollars seamlessly within the bank or is that I have to do no, that outside? Not an exchange, okay. not an exchange, just a, just a custodian for now. Yeah. Uh, and just Bitcoin for now, maybe oh, okay. maybe forever. Uh, but one one big caveat is the business model is to serve institutions, businesses, not to serve individuals. So it's a business only bank. Uh, it's designed really to serve the the long term hodlers of this industry, not the short term traders. And again, yeah. this is this is part of why custodia is so different as a non-lending bank right that bank run risk of the you know of, of, of silvergate and signature unfortunately not understanding the risk that we talked about which is that deposits in this industry could flee like that and what i was more worried about is not precisely what happened but the general gist is still true i was more worried because they were taking stablecoin deposits that if somebody found a zero day exploit in one of these protocols, right, that all those deposits would have to be cashed out in the span of minutes. And yet you had the banks making, you know, 10 year loans, 10 year investments with with funds that could have to be withdrawn on demand and cashed out within the span of minutes. It was obvious to me. And I was saying this again publicly back in 2020, but also I kind of hope it comes out privately to the regulators as well warning about the bank run risk in this industry there was bank run risk among the banks serving serving this industry so the fact that custodia is not servicing the traders and we're really our market is the you know we're the tortoise not the hare we're the we're we're, yeah. we're after the hodlers not the not the speculators that's a very different approach um and as a non-lending bank that bank run risk that Unfortunately, everybody in this industry had to deal with, um, you know, knock on wood, it's, you know, for a bank that whose proposal we proposed to the Fed to hold not just 100% of customer funds in cash in a Fed master account, but to your point, an additional 8%. That's where the 108% came from. That 8% is our shareholders equity. Um, the way the mm. Fed member banks work is that they have to hold at least eight cents on the dollar of shareholders equity in their first three years of operating. And then it goes down to 5% thereafter, five cents on the dollar. And our proposal was keep it simple, just put it all in the Fed master account. That was our proposal. It was not approved. Stay tuned for, for uh, we'll have some announcements at some point soon, I hope. Um, yeah, about so Kate, what Caitlin we'll actually cannot, be doing differently. <laughs> Caitlin cannot talk about this. So I will talk about something I saw on Twitter. And to my eyes, it appears to say that the Federal Reserve lost its motion to dismiss this case against Custodia. And so Custodia was able to move forward with its possible claims to basically try to get the master account. So I'm no, no comments from Caitlin, I understand. But, um, but that is what it looks like to me. And uh, now here's something you might be able to comment on. Here's you with an award. So, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it looks like one of those crystals that Superman uses to build the Fortress of Solitude. So tell us what this award is and, and what's going on here. 
Well, I, it just happened on Monday. Uh, I was at the American Banker Digital Banking Conference. Again, I'm trying very hard to keep one foot firmly planted in both of these worlds, the digital asset world and the, the traditional banking world for innovators who are digital and, and tech forward in the banking world. And so I was at their conference on Monday and uh, they nominated me. I, I knew I was nominated. In fact, they named in May 20 innovators of the year and um, highlighted that they would be they would be giving a special award to three of us, and um, thankfully I was named one of the three. So the dissonance of this is 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 uh, is something a lot of people commented <laughs> on in Twitter, right? The, the the you know the Fed says it's our club and you're not in it, and then you know American Banker, which is the 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 paper of record for for the traditional banking industry. Um, recognized me. And, and uh, I don't know how much, if any, they're going to reveal about the reasoning for choosing the, the top three. But one of the things that they said in the, in the introduction was because of being fearless in the face of the pressures that Custodia is under. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's who I am. Uh, you know, when something's wrong and uh, I, de I definitely stand up for for what's right. And that's what's been so difficult about in the crypto industry and also in the traditional banking industry. Everybody assumes that this is all black and white. If you're, you know, if frankly, Biden, the Biden administration's policy, if you're involved in crypto, then you must be a criminal. Okay. Uh, and, and, and they're not even letting those of us who are not prove otherwise. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, um, uh, you know, there was a phrase someone someone once told me about the neocons. They assume we're we're all uh, terrorists until we until until we prove otherwise, otherwise. Right? It's the it's the it's the opposite of the of terrorists the, the until proven Amendment. not terrorists. Yeah. Correct, correct, right? And um, you, you know, and so, but the point I'm trying to get across here is is a really simple one. Nothing's black and white. There are shades of gray. Yes, I defend the traditional banking industry in a, in a way that, you know, the crypto Twitter sphere loves to call them banksters. Nope, I won't do that. There are some really good people and some really good financial institutions in the traditional banking industry, including some I met at the digital banking conference, who, in spite of the regulatory pressures, are very interested in pursuing the digital asset industry and making these these services and products available to their customers and Godspeed to them. And by the same token, I absolutely do not defend the vast majority of the digital asset industry because the vast majority of it is criminal scams and highly leveraged business models that deserve to be flushed out and good riddance to them. And a lot of folks are saying, well, gee, the leverage flush is done. I think some of the news that came out in the last two days indicates to us it's not done yet. And good riddance to it all. These unsustainable business models really should be flushed out, and I do not defend them. But I do defend those of us who are trying to get regulated, who have the same philosophy that Custodia has, which is let's ask for permission for everything we do before we do it. And, uh, and that's exactly what Custodia has done. And those of us who have taken that approach have been skewered more extremely than the criminals have. That's what's so crazy about the way the 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 Washington DC Biden administration all of government crackdown on this industry has taken place. It's crazy. It has been insane. You're right. It is like we're in bizarro world where the criminals are doing better than the very honest yes. good people that are trying yep. to push forward a legitimate way to do uh, do crypto and and traditional and uh, reinvented banking. So yeah. so listening to you talk, do you are you a, are you a laser eye? Are you Bitcoin only? Pretty much, or you, um, you don't like Ethereum or anything else at all? No, actually, I'm uh, yes, I'm laser eyed. Yeah, you know, you know, yeah. if you look at my Twitter account, I've got a key, I've got yeah. a lightning strike, uh, I've got the orange pill. Um, but yeah. I am I've not been a maxi to the exclusion of everyone else. Every other project has an opportunity to compete in the marketplace. Uh, in, in fact, some of the maxis went after Wyoming because it wasn't Bitcoin only. Um, and, mm. and frankly, I just don't think that, that when laws are being written, that they should choose the winners of technologies. None of us knows what the long-term winner is. I personally think it's, it's Bitcoin, but there are absolutely use cases, non-financial use cases 
for the most part, uh, for other blockchains, other database architectures that absolutely do make sense. And they all have a right to compete. So I consider myself a long-term maxi and um, by far a Bitcoiner first. And thank you, Satoshi. Uh, and thank you to all the Bitcoin core developers, the open source developers who work on Bitcoin and maintain it that enable the rest of us to do what we're doing to try to use our own talents to build this ecosystem. It's all open source. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Lightning Network. I'm, that's really where I'm spending most of my time is Bitcoin mm. and Lightning, but not to the exclusion of everything else. I am watching what's happening with everything else. And let's see, there's a lot more question in the United States about everything other than Bitcoin in terms of the regulatory status, for sure. How do you feel about BRC20 tokens and SAT names and things like that? You know, it's interesting. Nobody's asked me about that yet publicly in all the public appearances, but uh, here's, here's what I would say on that. I do believe in free markets with the, uh, with the understanding that Bitcoin is expensive from a security perspective, right? Mm -hmm. there, there have been a number of academic studies that conclude that the hash rate is too high for this industry relative to the security needs to secure money, okay? I think all of us can agree or should agree that we want our money to be secured in the most honest ledger, okay? And that means a lot of hash rate securing the network and making it secure. As the hash rate goes up, the network security goes up. Okay, we're at all-time highs, give or take, with Bitcoin's hash rate right now. Mm -hmm. It's far more secure, in my opinion, than any other blockchain. However, is it too secure is an interesting question. I look at that and think markets will work themselves out. Okay, so for the BRC20 tokens and all these non-monetary non uses, they are there are a lot of maxis complaining about, about the fees being bid up. But here's my thought. They will, these non-monetary uses, if, they're, if they catch on and the markets see value in them and, it, and it's deemed worth spending the money on the security of Bitcoin, then Godspeed. Blockspace is an open market. Markets do work. Satoshi has proven that. Uh, and great. But here's what I would guess. I'm not personally participating in any of that. I'm just watching it from the sidelines. Here's what I would guess over time that that's all going to be deemed way too expensive in transaction fees relative to the value of those tokens and they will ultimately migrate to the lower transaction cost chains and if that's the way that the market plays out it will make perfect logic sense to me logical sense to me hmm okay so you're you're not so this is very interesting cuz i honestly thought that uh well, i wasn't sure about you but i was i was i was pretty sure that sailor was going to hate this and uh, and there was an interview where somebody asked him a, a similar question, and he was basically like, "Look, I think everybody should be building new things on the Bitcoin blockchain, and I think it's great, um, you know." And I I observed that, you know, the, the the miners are making roughly double what they were making before, you yeah. know, sort of the peak of this market, which that's great for Bitcoin because the miners yeah. are making more money. That's awesome. of our network. Yeah. Absolutely, it's causing them to go, you know, take their profits and reinvest in next gen miners yeah. and the like yeah yeah so you know all the all the tribalism in this space it, it, i think you know there was a great book about um the block size war written by i think it was the one of the security officers of bitmex i i i apologize for not remembering his name but it was a fantastic mm -hmm. book and i highly recommend it it's called the block size war and he made a, a really good point which is that the big blockers who wanted to use the network for non-monetary uses that did not require the level of security that Bitcoin offers ended up moving away towards Ethereum. And that the Bitcoiners, frankly, should be grateful that Ethereum came along at the time that it did, because that took a lot of the folks who were interested in the non-monetary use cases and the developers and that community moved towards Ethereum. And, 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 and I think he's right, that the Bitcoiners should be grateful that that happened, because if Ethereum hadn't been in existence when the Bcash fork occurred, that might have, have had a lot more of the big blockers stay with the Bcash fork. And there might have been more miners who, instead of mining Ethereum, which was at the time proof of work, would have been, would have been mining Bcash, and Bcash might have, have had a a bigger run. Okay. Mm. So I'm really grateful that it played out the way that it did. And again, this is what I'm laying out is not the Bitcoin maxi black or white 
you know, good or bad, good or evil kind of distinction. I'm laying out a nuance. And, um, and I think it's an important one that even a maxi can appreciate the dynamic of what happened in that block size war and recognize that there are a lot of people who want to use these technologies for non-monetary uses. And there are, and, no, and, and many of those non-monetary uses are legitimate. It's all a question of what's the right security model? What's the right database architecture? And do you really need to pay up? Do you need to use a blockchain? And, do, and if you choose that you do for shared infrastructure reasons to, to solve your duplication and reconciliation problem that we have with centralized database architectures right now, right? All these counterparties duplicate information and have to reconcile. Well, if you use shared infrastructure, the duplication information, the duplication and, and uh, reconciliation problem gets solved. Okay, so that's your reason for wanting to use a blockchain. Now, which blockchain, which blockchain do you wanna use? And I would posit that for anything non-monetary, you don't need Bitcoin. You're way overpaying for the security. And over time, um, people will, I think, conclude that markets will work. But, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. I didn't know how Sailor would think about it, but I'm not surprised that he came out that way. He's an engineer by background. Mm. And I really do appreciate the, the way engineers think. They are innovators. They are constantly thinking about better ways to do things. That's what they do. My father was an electrical engineering professor. So I appreciate that mindset. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that, that most engineers are always looking at what they have in front of them and trying to figure out how to make it better. How, so I'm going back to something you said earlier and tying it to what you just said just now. You sounded like you didn't like stable coins. Do you believe mm. that stable coins are a bad thing or is there, is there a good version of them? What, what are your feeling on that? No, actually, I think stable coins, I do like the technology. Okay. The technology is, I think, the killer app of blockchain in the short term. Okay. Not mm -hmm. the long term. The killer app of blockchain is, of course, Bitcoin in the long term. But in the short term, there's definitely been a, 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 a real world use cases of stable coins because you can move a US dollar cross border without having to go through SWIFT. Okay, and mm -hmm. I give an example of a manufacturing company that I'm aware of that had an opportunity to do something in China that required them to move money same day. If they, and, and that opportunity, there was a window closing. If they had not been able to move money same day, they would not have been able to capitalize on that opportunity that earned them $2.6 million in profits. Okay, so everyone who says, tell me the real world use cases of this technology, there it is. There's a real company who used USDC to take advantage of a short-term window that required them to move US dollars in the span of minutes. And they got something done in, literally in the span of a morning that, that earned them $2.6 million. Had they had to wait and go through the swift black hole from central bank to central bank, okay? Um, and it would have taken them at least one to two days, if not more, realistically. Yeah. Um, that that window would have been closed. So do we need a blockchain for that? No. But the problem is that the mm. central banks don't want to build technology that is integrated with each other. And that's mostly the U.S. Uh, because the U.S. doesn't want to integrate. They don't want to be forced to adopt these better payment systems. I will say I do a lot of work with the official sector. Um, I have a, I've, I've collaborated a number of times with an economist from the IMF. Again, you know, the maxis, the, the, the purists in, in digital assets would look at that and say, that's dissonance, stay away, right? <laughs> and I get it, it is. But again, people like me, I think, do do play a role because we're we're helping to educate. Um, and, and uh, you know, when, it, you know, there's so much skepticism uh, among that official sector of uh, you know towards these towards these technologies but one of the things that he told me uh, was that us central bankers and you know treasury officials are being laughed at in their international circles for how bad that the us payment systems are and the rest of the world is just running circles around the us payment systems and around the us banks and that is the federal reserve's fault because they have discouraged. And in fact, actually, you could argue that a lot of what happened in the, in the you know, basically beginning with them denial, their denial of custodia back in January, and then some of the most tech forward banks were, 
we're, we're targeted, if you will, um, for extinction. There's incredible pressure on the remaining tech forward banks. There's an anti-tech move movement okay, yeah. against the financial system right now in the United States. Why? Fundamentally, it's because the, the system that the payment systems that are being operated by the United States right now are horse and buggy. And the rest of the world is, you know, is is Ferrari. And, but why wouldn't know, the U.S. not want to upgrade? I mean, is, is there an advantage in, in, in um, you know, is it like taxis? Like they don't want the Uber to come along because it screws up their sure. dominance? Absolutely. It's classic monopolies and it's governments that don't move fast. OK, once you have a government in charge of this, the incentives structure is that, that, that fear of doing anything different turns out to be the biggest problem. So and I think there are some governance structure differences. If you look at central banks in other countries, they're not controlled by the banking industry. OK, the way the U.S. works, the Federal Reserve is the is a government agency in Washington, D.C., and then the 12 regional reserve banks, which is where the money, where the dollars get issued, are legally private entities. There is absolutely a question whether they're agencies as well, but legally they're owned by their member banks. That, that's what a Fed member bank is. They become a shareholder in the Federal Reserve regional banks. Okay, And so, so this hybrid status of the regional reserve banks has been litigated multiple times. And will be litigated more, I think. But what does that tell you? That's that from a governance perspective. I mean, this came out with the Silicon Valley Bank thing. How is it that the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was on the board of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, who was his regulator? And a lot of people looked at that and thought, oh, that's a conflict wow. of interest. Well, rest the rest hmm. of the world isn't structured that way. What does that do if there's a monopoly in the United States on the payment system? What does that do? What happens to monopolies? Their tech, their tech atrophies. It gets, it doesn't, it doesn't keep up with the times. Okay, and so you have real innovations. You know, API-based banking core systems in use all around the world, except in the United States, with the exception of the of the biggest banks that have built their own. The vast majority of the quantity of U.S. banks don't use APIs and still batch process their payments overnight. Jesus, it's really? you know I, there was a really funny thing somebody somebody tweeted out and I, I tweeted at tweeted it out. It's keep calm. Online banking runs on the mainframe. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know what? That's pretty much right. But yeah. Um, but you know this is this is unfortunate because players like us who really were a friendly with the Fed were absolutely willing to roll up sleeves and help them figure out. All right, what are we doing? This 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 Bitcoin thing is not going away. I know they hope it goes away, but that's hopium. Head in the sand, hopium yeah. is 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 going to backfire on them. It already is. Um, I mean, heck, look at you know tethers at an all time high, right? They're trying to shove all this stuff into the shadows, <laughs> and I, I haven't had a chance to look at all the details on tethers disclosures this morning. But what I saw in skimming it is that tethers mostly getting its U.S. dollars from Chinese banks. Not mm -hmm. a shock. Yeah. And they're not they're not going to be able to get banked on in, onshore in the United States. They're in what's called the euro dollar market. The euro yeah. dollar market is the offshore. It's a misnomer. It has nothing to do with Europe. It just means the offshore market for U.S. dollars. Some of those U.S. dollars that, tra that trade offshore never touch the U.S., but they're U.S. dollars. OK, mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, um, I, I, I am not making a statement on Tether. I've been critical of them in the past. Uh, I have also complimented the technology that they created, the stablecoin technology, back to your original question, but they have not been as transparent as I think they needed to be with their customers. And um, uh, now apparently, you know, a bunch of new information came out and not surprisingly, they're not really doing business with U.S. banks. It looks like most of the banks they were getting U.S. dollars from, pretty much all of them were offshore. This mm -hmm. doesn't this doesn't surprise me at all. That's what the U.S. is 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 doing. They're shoving all of this into the proverbial shadows and offshore. But here's here's the blowback to the regulators. They're going to be playing whack-a-mole as look at Tether is at an all time high. They yeah. can't be happy with that. They'd no, they can't have these be in lit markets. Um, and, you know, I mean, frankly, the Lightning Network, you can transact U.S. dollars on the Lightning Network without permission right now, if you know how to run the code on your phone.
8 billion people in the, in the world can download that code and transact in US dollars on the Lightning Network today. Okay, so they're not going to be able to stop this. No, they're and, not. Uh, and so I, I, that's why I, I'm, not, it, I'm not worried that they're going to have to come crawling back. And those of us I who think they will too. were here all along trying to help them and make sure that this got done in a way that didn't, you know, blow up banks. Unfortunately, they weren't listening. And here we are today with a few of the banks blown up. Let's hope that, um, hope that, we're done. that it's over and, and that there's there's a lot of new, you know, learnings that get applied. And a lot of banks that serve these hot deposit monies, hot deposit markets like the digital asset industry or like tech forward users like Silicon Valley venture capital funds, they're going to have to hold a lot more cash. But um, with that in mind, let me close with one additional statement. Fed now is about to come online. That is the Fed's new upgraded 24-7-365 real-time payment system. I have not heard, and I've had my ear to the ground very closely, I have not heard that bank regulators are telling the banks they need to hold more liquidity. Think about what is about oh, to happen. Wow. You are about to have the ability to do 24-7-365 US dollar payments through your bank. You don't have to worry about eight to five banking hours anymore. Can you imagine what the Silicon Valley Bank weekend would have been if people have had the ability to actually withdraw 24 oh 365, God. right? Now, here's the thing, because yeah. of the implications of that, because the banks don't have enough liquidity, they now know they don't have enough liquidity and now they're bringing this fast settling liability that's gonna increase the speed of withdrawal. The velocity, yeah, the velocity at which things can crash. Yeah. Right, and, the, and, the, and from what I've heard, the bank regulators are not telling the banks they need to sit on more cash. Now, they're they're unveiling it from what I understand with a $100,000 limit, but $100,000 is a lot to an individual. It's not a lot to a business, okay? If a business yeah, is making payroll, you know, a small number of employees, a handful of employees is $100,000 payroll, right? So 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 large businesses can't use it if it's only 100,000, but the banks aren't ready to handle the liquidity demands that opening this up to large value payments are is going to entail. Yeah. So I think eventually this is all going to break into payment specialist banks that are going to be like Custodia's proposal to the Fed, non-lending banks that, do, that's, that act as payment gateways that reduce the risk of all of the fast settling liabilities that deploy blockchain technology into that into these banks, but act as a firewall against the traditional banking industry um, so that it, you don't have the bank run problem caused by the fact that certain industries do have faster bank run characteristics. And it's not just digital assets. It's, it's just anyone tech forward or frankly, anyone high net worth because yeah. online banking is what's enabling them to withdraw so fast. Caitlin, let me let me stop you there because we've got like we got like ten minutes left here, and I have two news articles that I actually want to get your opinion on because uh, okay. you have a very unique viewpoint in, in lots of ways. Uh, one of those ways is you've actually spent a ton of time in D.C. talking with a lot of these um, you know Congress critters and regulators, <laughs> and you know you've had your ear to the ground in a way that most of us do not in the uh, crypto world. So the the first news story, um, Mr. Warren Davidson introduced a new bill called the SEC Stabilization Act to restructure the SEC and fire Gary Gensler. Now, you know, every morning we wake up in, you know, we in the crypto industry and we see a new action from the SEC and, or somebody. And it's, you know, after a while it gets kind of disheartening, right? It just feels yeah. like in addition to the normal startup stuff, which is hard, startups are hard. It's yep. like, now there's like a sniper taking pot shots at you every day, right? <laughs> hey, in addition to starting with stuff, that, right? yeah, right? and I know <laughs> yeah. you're familiar with that personally, right? So, um, and and you know, and, and it does feel like there are some people in Congress who are sympathetic to that and say, you know, we got to get rid of the sniper, <laughs> right? Now, is that you know, I, I look at something like this and I say, well, that's nice, Warren, but you know, you're gonna pass your act with uh, your Republican buddies. But really, nothing's going to happen because the Democrats are never going to let that through. And the president is never going to sign off on it. You're never going to get the votes to override them. 
So why do it at all? What What do yeah. you think about this? Well, it- yeah, I, I don't think that's going anywhere, um, it, much as I might agree with the sentiment. But I also have, again, things in life are not black and white. Go back and look at my own Twitter defending the SEC in some instances. The hmm. SEC is not wrong. They've gone after a lot of fraud. They tend to go after the low-hanging fruit cases, and that's how they guide the, the securities law lawyers, the securities law bar, is, if you will, um, on, on where are the guardrails. Um, but they're, you know, it's interesting. They, they are not the only federal agency that's putting it all on the line. My gosh, if they lose the XRP case and XRP yes. is not deemed a security, that throws everything into question because that was the original ICO raise all the capital up front, was it a security question, okay? Mm-hmm. And if XRP isn't uh, isn't a security, then is anything that Correct. they're going after a security, right? So um, so I'm really watching that lawsuit, watching a lot of lawsuits, but, uh, you know, I, 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 because historically the, the federal agencies tended not to prosecute or end up in defense as a defendant in, in existential type, litigation. I am amazed at how much existential type litigation is happening against these banking industries now or against the um, against these uh, the federal federal regulators, not just banking, um, but it's securities and commodities as as well. Um, And and even some of the even some of the other actions that are happening outside of those big three um, securities, commodities and banking regulators. Some of this stuff is existential, because if it turns out that the that the judicial system says no, the agency's overreached. Then a lot of what the agencies have done will end up being overturned. That's the existential stuff that that is happening in the in these lawsuits. But the Biden administration has clearly decided that crypto is so dangerous that they must try to do what they're doing. And Gary Gensler is absolutely. I mean, there have been a lot of videos that have that have shown that that he's he has changed his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, apparently compared to things he said on video a few years ago. And I think that that's, he's getting, he's getting, well, I do happen to know because Washington DC is a sieve. We had people coming to us, telling us what happened to us, telling us that, that operation choke point 2.0 was going to happen. And it was real. Um, and it was, so we knew all along that it was, that it, that it was real. I just didn't know the extent of it. But Gary Gensler was one of the people who's among the group that's instigating it. It it has apparently originated from the White House itself. Okay, so um, that I mean, that that explains a lot. Gary's not the one making the decisions necessarily here. It is the Biden administration that has made a decision politically that, uh, you know, crypto shooting crypto is more important because, you know, the 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 boomers and gen x's tend to vote more than the millennials and the gen z's who are much more heavy users and much bigger supporters of crypto but they just don't vote all right so they're making a political Mm. decision they don't vote as much so you know they're making a political decision that's how i read the tea leaves and i have very good reasons for concluding that in fact i know the names of the people who 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 were involved in all this and when i went to capitol hill i was asked to come up and talk about everything that i knew and to share the share the receipts so to speak the the, the evidence that we had about it all um nothing not pretty much nothing that i shared was a surprise to the oversight committees on capitol hill they had already heard about it from others because i went mm. about six weeks after um the custodial situation um uh, the denial day and um and the coordination that happened with the White House on that day, uh, they knew they knew exactly who at the White House was doing it. They knew who was who was involved. And you know, I must say, let's see if the political decision that the Biden administration has made to try to kill this industry is the right political decision. They've clearly made a political decision um, to ignore the Gen Z and millennial supporters of this industry who may have otherwise voted for them. They have, and you have somebody like BlackRock just yesterday applying for a Bitcoin ETF, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, that's I mean, look, new and weird. Well, it's it is and it isn't. BlackRock is one of the big financial institutions that's been around this, okay. And one of the things that we're seeing is that, in spite of all the protestations that they don't like the big banks and they don't like big business. What are they actually doing? They're making the big banks bigger and making big businesses bigger. Okay, mm-hmm. so I look at this and say, all right, 
you know, let's watch. I'm not part of this. I'm not part of this. The, the, the SEC issues, the issues that Custody is dealing with and that I'm focusing on are the banking issues, which doesn't have anything to do with the BlackRock ETF. But I'm watching it as an active participant in the industry going, all right, if BlackRock is the one that gets approved because the SEC wants to have, you know, it's examples where it didn't turn everything yes. away. Okay. And BlackRock is the one that gets approved. The outcry from regular folks on that is going to be very loud. Patrick McHenry tweeted that the, his eye was his eye of Sauron was upon Gary. He's like, I'm watching you very closely you bet. on this BlackRock thing. Because if they you get it, bet. Like, all these other people don't. That's going to tell me something about you, Gary. Well, again, the other reality, I mean, again, like watch what they watch, what they do, not what they say. They're out yeah. there speaking out against big businesses, but they're making the big businesses bigger in so many ways. Right. Jamie Dimon got yeah. handed, arguably, First Republic, came out, you know, with a Cheshire cat smile to his investors the next day and talked about the the, the gain that it already was going to be able to book. Um, and you saw that with the bank that acquired Signature as well. Big yes. gain. It was one of the only stocks that, uh, among its peer group that was up um, because of, of the fact that it was able to pick up assets on the cheap. So in spite of yelling and screaming that we don't want more bank mergers because that's creating too much concentration of power, they actually, in the case of, of, um, of uh, J.P. Morgan buying the First Republic, um, uh, assets that it did, they made an exception. Uh, there's like yes. an emergency exception. Well, if there's an emergency exception and everything's an emergency, then there's really no exception at all. And the big banks just keep getting bigger and bigger. -er -er -er. So here we go. Agree. Yeah. All right. One last story. And I know you got to go soon. So this is the curious case of Prometheum. So mm. speaking about, this was great, Scoopy Troopals put this up. I thought this was hilarious. So Prometheum was a company that I didn't, he I, I didn't hear about them. I'd never heard of them until 48 hours ago. I don't think anybody had. And they suddenly mm. show up with a front row seat at Congress. Um, and they had gotten approval from the SEC, the only, the first uh, company to get approval for a special purpose, sorry, I'm looking for a special purpose broker, broker dealer. dealer. Mm -hmm. And um, and they apparently raised fifty million dollars, and they used a company called L One to raise that money. And the people who raised that money raised it from China, and had previously been behind Long Island Iced Tea, which was a company which uh, sold iced tea and decided to say we're pivoting to blockchain in order to jack up their stock price. So kind of scammers in a way it looks like mm -hmm. um, debatable, but that's what it looks like. And, um, and and so and also th there were three lawyers who run this company, two of which went to a law school, which lost its accreditation. And the L1 company that I just spoke of earlier has 19 actions against it from the SEC. So kind of a spotty record. And this is who Gary Gensler. I, this looks like a Potemkin village. This looks like Gary, you know, found these people and said, look, we did approve. Yeah, there we go. There's a Potemkin village. We did approve someone. Uh, for for you know to to be a crypto exchange, this is how you register. This is the best they could do. They could have gone with Coinbase. They could have gone with these other sort of legitimate people, or these people trying to be legitimate. Instead, they went with this. Yeah. So, what do you make of this, Caitlin? Well, I, I don't know the people involved. I don't know the company involved, and I've generally been very careful not to speak to specific companies in situations like this. Uh, and speak to generalities about the risks involved in the in the in you know for example leveraged crypto lending right um, yeah. a lot of people commented on the debates that I had with Sam Bankman Fried and Alex Mashinsky and others on that topic yeah. so uh, but I but I was never personal and um, until after the fact didn't talk much about the companies either right there's in the United States. There, there are defamation laws, right? So I'm going to be very careful and not speak to Prometheum itself. I was aware that they were out there. Um, they're not new. Uh, Preston Byrne pointed out they, they're not new. They've been around for a while. I've actually been watching this ATS space because keep in mind, um, uh, T0 was created to be an ATS for registered securities and um, to, for, for blockchain issued securities, there are a couple of assets that trade on T0's ATS. It's a very, very small number. And the reason is because the SEC has not been willing or not, ha the, the SEC has not approved 
um, um, you know, more than just a very small number of assets to to trade on um, on these regulated venues like an ATS or like the special purpose broker dealer. OK, um, so I, I, I think it's awesome that there's a lot of citizen journalism that people have uncovered what they've uncovered. I also look at the people that are involved, um, particularly on their compliance function, and recognize that they're known people with good reputations in the industry in, in, a, in a couple of instances. And so it's again, it's not black and white. It's not all um, it's not all shady, if you will. Um, and so mm -hmm. I just it, everybody do your homework just because crypto Twitter is talking about it doesn't mean that everything's off. But is there something potentially off there? Um, you know, it is magic that that, that suddenly, um, you know, the the, to the talking points of the Elizabeth Warren wing of the Democratic Party, of which Gary Gensler is a card carrying member, um, you know, were being repeated during during that congressional hearing. And, and from what I understand, the way that those congressional hearing um, audience or, you know, testimony lineups occur, uh, it's typically the majority party uh, gets to pick. Uh, you know, in, when there are three witnesses, it'll be two coming from the majority party, one coming from the minority party. So I suspect that that the Prometheum was asked by the Democratic um, members of the House Financial Services Committee. And uh, so were they there to, to help spread a message? Who knows? Uh, but look, I mean, I, I'm glad that everybody's asking these questions because the citizen journalists that are digging up all of this stuff, um, they're getting at to the at the the really bigger issue, which has nothing to do with Promethean, and it has to do with the hypocrisy. For those who are trying hard to comply with the laws, and aren't being told what the laws are, or are being told, oh well, we like our incumbent friends, we like our big business friends, but we don't like you because you're not one of us. You're it's not it's our club, and you're not in it. That is where you start to get real due process questions. Uh, and this industry, as I've as I pointed out, there are a number of active lawsuits on these very topics, and um, some of them are 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 dealing with existential issues. And it, you know, it's so interesting that the digital asset industry is the hill that some of these federal agencies appear to be willing to die on. And because you know, again, if XRP is not a security, <laughs> then then um is is anything else a security, right? That changes and, and, the physics of everything else if that correct. happens. Correct. Correct. I mean, that, that, and this is why the SEC has historically not taken on these existential type lawsuits, but there are multiple of them in, in now and, and, and across different agencies. And, 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 you know, if they don't go the agency's way, which I think most of them will not, because the, the parties involved have truly been aggrieved uh, and the agencies have overreached, uh, you know, you've got the Supreme Court that, that has two Chevron deference cases in front of it now that, you know, for those who are not familiar with that, that is the, the, the Chevron is the case that gave deference to the federal agencies. Uh, and if that gets overturned, in addition to the specific legal questions in some of these lawsuits that are, that, that, that really do go to the, you know, where is the true four corners of the jurisdiction of some of these agencies then, oh my, are we going to have a very different world on the other side of some of these? And it's going to take a couple of years. Uh, but right now, it doesn't look like Congress is going to be able to do anything. With The one exception I would say is if the XRP lawsuit comes out saying XRP is not a security, I think Congress probably will step in. There probably will be bipartisan support for finally defining where digital assets are. And I was talking with our chief compliance officer just this week, he's looking at all of the activities in this industry and saying, this is derivatives all over again. Derivatives are not securities, they're not money, and they're not commodities. And so 25 years ago, the, the, the world had to figure out who was going to regulate derivatives. And it ended up, the deal got cut with Congress to, to regulate derivatives through the CFTC because of the futures industry being tied to agriculture in the real hedging sense. Um, but the point is, you know, he said, we're, I just, as someone coming in relatively new to digital assets, I just see the same commercial playing all over again. And so I asked if he and I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be interested in writing a blog post making that exact 
um, drawing that exact analogy. And so we'll probably end up, once we get a little bit of time to breathe, drawing that exact analogy. It's going to get sorted out. And right now, because the agencies haven't been willing to play fair, it's getting sorted out in the courts. Um, but let's see if Congress ends up stepping in if the, if, if the decision comes out against the SEC in this XRP case. That's the one example where I think Congress might might come together with those split political parties and get something done. Well, I certainly hope so. Caitlin, you have been delightful and informative as always. So thank you so very much for taking the time to spend a little, spend an hour with us. Um, one personal note, my new novel comes out today, The Name in the Shadow. It is a sci-fi thriller. So I hope you'll go Congrats. and check it out. Yeah, it just came out today. So I'm all, all excited about it. It's my awesome. eighth novel. So it's something I, oh, something well I do in addition you. to all this stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun thing. Congrats. So, Best wishes right. with it. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Mark Jeffrey. This has been Across the Chains. That's all the time we have. We'll see you next time.